Good morning. Welcome to Grace Point Church. This is our virtual service. Uh, we are so glad that you are here. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're, we're making our way through this, this letter. I, I anticipate just moving on to 2 Thessalonians once I uh, conclude this letter. Um, as you're finding your place in your Bible, I just want to say that I, I do really appreciate that when you guys check in and you say good morning and you let us know that you're here, uh, it, it really helps me when I get to this point and I kind of know who I'm talking to. So I know that there's, there's probably other viewers that don't check in, but I do appreciate the text messages, the, the emails, the just, just registering online that you're there and watching. And so it just helps for me. It kind of removes the, the, that I'm speaking to a camera, sort of the awkwardness. So today we are doing the live online streaming like we always do. And we are also, um, our in-person live service is also at 9.30. And so you have kind of two options, both the same message. Um, we don't do the live stream outside, mainly because the, the traffic from Colgrade is not a big deal when you're in person. But for the recording, the sound, and just the logistics of the camera and all of that, this is just a, a far better setup um, for recording. And when we're outside, the worship team is, is scaled down for all of the same reasons. And so we are glad you're here. Uh, next Sunday, the uh, I think it's October 11th, if that's on a Sunday. Um, I believe it's 11th. We're going to have a, a Sunday school, adult Sunday school class on the book of Revelation. And John Johnson is going to lead that. He's been with uh, Bible Study Fellowship for many years. And so that's going to start at 8.30, and I'm assuming it'll take 45 minutes or so each week, and then to give time to transition to the uh, the outdoor service. And so uh, if you're interested in that, come on down. We look forward to seeing you. Okay, we got to get going. We have a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of material here. We are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, the first five verses. Uh, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get into our passage. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. I thank you, Lord, as we... Uh, continue through this letter, uh, so much of it is relationship and what Paul and, and the Thessalonians have gone through together. And today we do get insight into Paul's heart, the heart of a pastor, and sort of uh, what he's feeling having been separated from these early believers at this beautiful word, beautiful in a painful sort of way, uh, this word being orphaned as a, as a parent. And so Lord, we pray that as we continue through this passage, that you would help us to understand uh, what happened in context, that you would show us areas, Lord, that we could apply to our real world, everyday life um, as we go about it uh, in this day and age. And so, Lord, we do look to you for help. We look to you for guidance. We ask that you would lead us now, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. All right, so here we are, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker, in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, 
when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Father, we do thank you again for this time in the scriptures. We ask that you would lead us and guide us. Help us, Lord. In Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right. So really through, I think, verse 10 of this chapter, we're going to continue to see sort of the, the x-ray glimpse into to Paul's heart. It's, uh, there's some aspect of what he's done showing ministry-wise and his actions, but truly this seems to be sort of the, the, the pain that he's experiencing sort of being separated from them. He was separated, as we've said a number of times, that uh, there's great affliction happening to them, and, and Paul finds himself separated from these, early, these young believers, not by his choice. He, he, they didn't uh, reach a stage of maturity where he felt comfortable leaving. He was driven away and then banned from seeing them. And so this is uh, really a difficult time for Paul and, and painful. And we read here in verse 1, uh, therefore, when we can endure it no longer. So this therefore connects us uh, to the previous uh, train of thought that chapter verses are all, chapters and verses are super helpful for us finding our way around the Bible, but they're not uh, divinely given to us. It was a French guy in the 1500s. God bless him for doing this so we can navigate our way around the Bible. But this was just a letter that, that, that words strung together, flowed, made thoughts, and the thoughts all connected together. And so in the, the previous verse, uh, when, when Paul talked about sort of uh, his being separated by Satan, and he says when he thinks about these believers in Thessalonica, that the thought of standing before Christ at his day of judgment, that they would be sort of his crown, his glory. And he says, uh, verse 20 of the previous chapter, for you are our glory and joy. This is uh, just great fruit. I, I think as a pastor, you know, there are moments where you see the gospel go out and you see it penetrate the heart of a young believer and it's just, there's aren't, there aren't words to quantify it. They, these are the moments that keep me in the ministry for the, the difficult times. And so Paul describes them in this way. And then he says, therefore, because you, you are our glory and joy, when we could endure it no longer. There's like Paul's pain of being separated from them to the point where uh, he, he just couldn't take it anymore. Kittle, which is a, a, a commentary that sort of, it's a language commentary that helps uh, help us understand. It's a, it's a technical commentary. I, w- I wouldn't really recommend you spending the money on it unless you're really into words. Um, but it says this, it says that Paul impelled by his missionary task could no longer bear not to have an influence on the development of the young church in Thessalonica. This was more than he could take. As I've been thinking about sort of this, what this word is conveying, this, this uh, we could endure it no longer. I, I, uh, through some injuries from the military, I have a, a back, a service-connected back injury. And one of the things I do to kind of stay on top of things is go to the chiropractor. And over the years, I've had a number of different chiropractors 
And there was one chiropractor who they, he would kind of set up these like electrodes on my back and then he'd basically flip the switch. It'd be really low. You know, it kind of forces your muscles to, like a shock of electricity comes and it forces you to just sort of like flinch or to, to flex your muscles involuntarily. And then he would start, you know, setting, like turning it up the juice. And in my mind, anything worth doing is worth overdoing. And so I thought, I'm, I, my aim is to basically go as high as I can because he's going to leave it there for 20 minutes. And the, the, I figure the worse it is, the better it is for me. I don't know if that's medically correct, but that's just sort of my mentality. And so it would, it would get up, and then I'd just basically like be cringing over. I'm like, okay, we're good, and kind of call uncle. And I get this feeling that, 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 that here Paul is like, he's been separated for who knows how long. It's speculated six months, a year. We, we don't know. He can't take it anymore. He's still in Macedonia, so he's still in modern-day Greece, and he just can't take it anymore. And so what would he do? And he says, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy. The, just the obvious here, the word Athens comes up, and I this is modern-day Athens. We, this is Greece. This is the Bible when it talks about things geographically. They are true. They're historical. You can go there, and you can archaeologists dig up things, and, and the things that they dig up in the Bible, they actually are verified by archaeologists. Not all religions are this way. And so Paul continued his journey. So we have the Philippi, and then we are uh, in Thessalonica, and then he makes his way to Athens. And so he's in a different city within the country of modern-day Greece, and he's stuck. And he's trying to figure out, like, what, he, what, he, what can he do? Like, what are his options? He can't go. He's been banned from the town. If he goes back, it'll be bad for him. It'll be bad for the gospel. It will be bad for the believers that are there. So his hands are tied. And I love this phrase where he says, we thought it best. So often this is leadership. This is life. This is, like, you get to the point and there's no clear answer of what you can do. I, I think of the last, like, six months with the coronavirus. Like, I'll never forget that Thursday when I get a call or a text from, from David Wojnicki, who's a f- good friend of mine, who's the senior pastor of another church in town, and it's like, hey, man, are you guys going to have church on Sunday? He's like, what are you talking about? And, and he's like, this whole thing, like, it was kind of like breaking news about that they're going to shut down San Diego County. And just sort of like navigating the last six months, now we're more sort of uh, cruise control. We know what we're doing. Things have sort of stabilized. But the first few months, it was like, what do you do? What do you not do? And, and, and the answers weren't clear. And, and so, so, like, it comes to this time, like, the sort of the application, we thought it best. What I've learned as I've walked with Christ, and a lot of times the life that God has given us, it comes down to there's a fork in the road that maybe has three or four different choices. And then you're sort of brought to your knees and you, you pray, pray, pray. And as you pray and you sort of measure out your options and you consider, you, you, at the end of the day, you kind of do what you think is best. You don't know. And I'm not so convinced that, you know, some people are like, oh, God told me to do this. I, I'm not sure that, that God may operate like that, but I think most times God forces us to our knees. We pray, we, we do our best, we write our lists of the do, like the, the pros and the cons, and we sort of 
look through it, and then we could still have two options that both look good. And it kind of comes down to like, what's the desire of your heart? And, and God just sort of like leaves us with some peace to make the choice that we want to make. And so, so here they are. We thought it best to be left alone at Athens. And what would they do? Well, he says, and we sent Timothy. So he, he thought, okay, like of their team, we know that there are about four people. There, were, there was Paul, there was Silas. They started on the, this missionary journey together. And then they had Timothy by this point, and then they had Luke. Uh, and so he says that what they thought was best is that they could send Timothy. Now, there's a, there's a whole lot of questions that come to my mind. Clearly, Timothy in this whole escapade wasn't banned from going back. Timothy could make his way in, make his way out. That's my assumption is why they chose him. And so we sent Timothy, and I start thinking about Timothy. What do we know about Timothy? Um, we do actually know a lot about Timothy as we read the Bible. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a couple books in the Bible with his name on them, First and Second Timothy. He didn't write them. Paul wrote those uh, letters to him as the, this sort of this young pastor that was going to be sort of taking over for Paul. Not so much the heir apparent, but, but this was a guy that Paul really invested in. And you see sort of as you work through the New Testament and you see Paul's writings, his name is so intertwined with Paul that he was this faithful friend and faithful servant and faithful pastor. Uh, Paul saw so much potential in him. If we were to go back to the story of Acts, which we won't do, we'll see that as Paul set out on this missionary journey and they were going through Turkey, on one of their early stops, they picked up Timothy, this young believer. And then they continued with Timothy. And so he's young in the faith at this point in the story. Um, Paul saw potential in him. He mentored him. And he also gave him opportunities to grow as a, as a pastor. We know that Timothy is very different than the Apostle Paul. Um, Paul seems to be bold and confrontational and has all of the pedigree. Timothy doesn't. We know that he was sort of half Jew and half Gentile. His father's absent. He was raised by, we believe, like a single mom and her mother, that there was his grandmother and mother and that these ladies were godly and they invested in Timothy. There's a whole lot of cool stories in there. We know that he, he tended to be a little bit more timid and quiet and, and his age probably limited his authority in a lot of respects. We know that as he sent him in to Ephesians to sort of pastor that church, there were some big personalities and Paul was concerned about him and gave him instruction for how to go in there, uh, to go in there as a pastor with some God-given authority, um, to, to not let them steamroll him. He knew that he likely had ulcers or something. Like, and I just see a guy that's so stressed about the weight of the ministry, and Paul tells him, like, listen, Timothy, drink a little wine for a medicinal purpose to basically ease your, your stomach problems. And so Paul when he, prior to the writing of this letter, so all of this stuff has already happened. So Paul's writing this letter. He's already sent Timothy. Timothy's already come back. We'll see this. Paul gets a report and sort of the report that Paul receives from Timothy is, is sort of the foundation that we have this letter of Thessalonians. And so I wonder, 
Like, what did they think about receiving Timothy? Were they bummed? So often, uh, you know, people are uh, in churches, in particular, can be a little bit funny. Like, we, uh, we, you, you're not, you shouldn't be coming to church. Like, I'm, if you come into church and you're a part of our church and you uh, count Grace Point Church as you're a part of the family, well, obviously, like I'm the teaching pastor, and I've, I've, been, I, you know, there's 52 weeks out of the year, and I preach probably, I don't know, 45 weeks out of the year, um, and 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 so the days when I don't preach, or somebody knows that I I don't preach, I've kind of given it a habit where I don't give notice if I'm going to go on vacation or something comes up, if there's like a mission to go visit our missionaries or whatever. Uh, I tend to just have like Garrett come in without much announcement. And the reason for that is because of like the culture of churches. If like the, the main teaching pastor is not there, a lot of people just won't come to church. And so the, it, you're not supposed to go to church for the personality of the pastor. You might uh, have affection for me. You might like how I teach. You might like, uh, you know, like hopefully like I teach in a way that makes the Bible easy to understand. And so because of the culture of people like dislike certain personalities, I like wonder if they were a little bit bummed out when Timothy comes strolling in. Um, or was he like Paul to him? Like, was he just a part of that team? Like, they didn't maybe know all the backstory that he's like a new guy just being picked up by Paul, and now here he is putting into practice. But I do, I do see in this, there were circumstances that forced Paul to sort of delegate some responsibility to present an opportunity for young Timothy uh, to grow. Uh, and as he was given this opportunity, uh, as he was given this opportunity, it gave him an opportunity to sort of fumble through things and to, and to grow and to gain wisdom as a as a pastor. I do think of young Garrett. You know, Garrett's a lot younger than me. He's n- newer in the ministry. He's going through seminary. And a couple years ago, when the opportunity sort of uh, presented itself uh, through my relationship with Cross Connection and sort of. Um, you know, Miles, who's the senior pastor down there, who were, I'm good friends with him. And I was like, hey, do you have a, a young guy that could use some like grooming and experience instead of just like bouncing around a whole bunch of guys? Maybe there's somebody that you have that when I need some time off, I can bring him up and he can preach and he can grow as a pastor. And so this has been going on for like uh, t- two or three years at this point. And, and so I know Garrett was praying for more opportunities. And so it's been really Neat to see him grow and develop uh, as 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 a pastor, and so uh, by his coming, it's a blessing to us. You all sitting under his teaching when he's here, it's a blessing to him. So y- you are serving and mentoring and growing a young pastor. Oh, and by the way, on Monday, uh, early Monday morning, like Sunday night, Monday Monday in the wee hours of the morning, uh, Garrett and Grace had their little baby girl, and so everybody's healthy and doing well. And so we're really happy for them. I also think about Isaac. You know, Isaac often will step up and, and give his dad a downtime in leading worship so that he can lead and he's growing and really giving of himself in the ministry in this way. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's hard to believe for me that I've now been in the, the ministry for 16 years, that I walked away from the, the SEAL teams 16 years ago. And... At, at this point, not so much throws me for a loop in the ministry. I have experience, and, and, and I know what I'm doing. But early on, like when I, the whole concept of becoming a pastor was so foreign to me, and I didn't, like I, 
People obviously saw things in me that I didn't see in myself. And so I'm so thankful for these, these, these men who invested in me early on and saw the potential and then trusted me and then gave me opportunities to be used by God. They thrust me into the deep end in difficult situations. And through these difficult situations, I grew as an individual, I grew as a pastor. And, and so th- this is sort of discipleship being, I don't want to say sloppy, but it's uh, just being given the opportunity to see a potential in somebody and then to sort of mentor them, but then to let them step out on their own. And it's beautiful. We see this relationship between Paul and Timothy. And so I'm grateful for those Pauls in my life that treated me like young Timothy. And so my aim is to, 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 to take advantage of the opportunities that are presented to me to do the same. On Timothy, he describes him as our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul didn't say, hey, this is my intern. This is, uh, you know, he's an up, up, up and coming kid. I can't like I can't come to you, so like, here's my second fiddle. I'll, I'll, I'll send him to you. Like, no, from Paul, this is like his dear brother in the Lord. He's a fellow worker with him in the gospel of Christ. They're co-laborers. Here's Paul the apostle referring to young Timothy as co-laborers in the gospel of Christ. There is no pedestal, and there shouldn't be any pedestal within the church. I, I, I There's probably a lot that I could say about this, but I... I, in some ways, I like I appreciate the 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 culture within our church. When people say, "Well, how do you want me to be called?" and it's like, well, "I just want to be called Gunner." Like I am a pastor by like I am a pastor by calling. I serve in this capacity, but I'm in the trenches with you. And so then, as he sends this young Timothy, who he describes as his brother, his fellow worker in the gospel of Christ. He gives him a sort of his mission is three parts. There's sort of two offensive parts, and then there's a defensive part. And so the first two, the offensive side is to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. And so remember the affliction that they were under. There was so much persecution coming on, on them. Like how much could they take? Like how much persecution could they take? Uh, how much affliction can any of us take? And I guess it depends on where you are in the Christian life. I think if you're just starting out and all of a sudden you get like all of your family sort of comes against you and all your friends think you're crazy for becoming a Christian. Like I remember those days. I think that those early days in the conversion, there's, there's so much, um, you know, there's, 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 there's so much opportunity to, to be destroyed and to, to sort of fall away from the faith. And then as you grow and your roots take root and you get stronger, you, uh, you can endure more. Your, your focus on Christ gets clear and your sort of your affection for him and how you prize him grows. And so Paul feared for them and their progress because of this affliction that, was, that they were facing. And so he sends Timothy to strengthen them. And this, this word strengthen, it, it, it's the idea of uh, to make uh, firm or solid in the faith. Um, you know, I mentioned a few months ago, maybe, or a, 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 like some time ago, I, I, probably about a month and a half or so ago, I mentioned these trees that I, that I planted in our yard and I had to pick them up and then retransfer them. And I've been so worried that, that 
Uh, yeah, that's not an over. Like a word, like, you know, I have the green thumb. So I was really concerned that by taking them out and removing them, that I was like going to shock them e- even more. And so worried about the the trees being lost. So like I've been like really caring for them and giving them water and kind of pruning their tops so they're not so like overly burdened. I know like I they're they're like their stem, they're probably like a 10 or 12 foot tree. No, nah, probably not 12, probably like 10 feet, 10 to, yeah, maybe 10 to 12 feet. But they're, the, the, the stock of, of it, the um, stock, I don't know all the verbiage, but it's like not really much wider than my like thumb. And so I know that when we start getting our winter storms and the winds really start kicking up and the rain start coming down, like I know I'm going to be out there in the storm trying to like provide support and to build stuff so that it will it will stay strong and and not be destroyed by the storms that are coming. And I do think that this is exactly what Timothy is doing. He's going to them. And there's this the winter storm that they're facing is the affliction uh, uh this persecution that they're facing for converting to Christianity. And so he's there to sort of stabilize them, to put some supports up alongside of them, help them to basically weather the storm. He also was to encourage them in their faith. Um, this this word is this this word is interesting. The the Bible knowledge commentary says he was also sent to encourage them by providing what they needed to fight the good fight of faith individually and collectively. So this word encourage it depends on what you use. Like especially if you're in the King James version, the King James version, and I think the New King James version will use the word comfort, which gets us going in the wrong direction. This isn't like your warm, comfortable blanket that makes you feel good when you're sort of nervous at night like you had a bad dream. It's, it's a very different. Now, the reason the King James uses that in the 1600s, the word comfort, it came from a Latin word. And during that era, the word comfort took on uh, like a different meaning. It, meaning. it was um, sort of the idea of being fitted for combat. Uh, you know, when I... Uh, when I when I checked in, to, like I went to the military, I went through SEAL training, and then when early on when I checked into SEAL Team 3, you basically go to supply, and supply, you kind of go through and you're given all of this this gear. Some of it's fitted, some of it's not fitted, so that you have all of the things that you have uh, for combat, like that you're fitted and equipped to face the battles that you're going to face and that you're going to be called to. Now, my greatest nightmare, like I have two great nightmares that I've shared, I think I've shared openly with you all over the years, pretty, pretty frankly, they're pretty consistent. Number one nightmare that I have is that I'm preaching in this setting and then all of a sudden I start just using profanity, like I'm just swearing up a storm and it's a huge, like, just like a huge nightmare that that would start happening. I don't use profanity anymore, but it's still within me and, and so that's nightmare number one. Nightmare number two is somehow, like as a civilian, I'm I find myself back on the SEAL teams and called into a mission. Like I'm back with all my brothers, and we're we're we've been tasked for something, and I'm like going around, and I don't have any gear, and then I'm like on some raid in the Middle East, but I'm like in shorts and flip flops and a t-shirt, and I'm going, where's all my gear? And then I feel like in my dream, I'm getting in trouble by the leadership that I've like misplaced my gear and I haven't kept it up. Then I wake up from that one. It's like, no, I don't have my gear. Like all my gear, when I left the military, I had to, I had to, to, to turn it back in. And so that's kind of the idea is 
that, that, that they're, Timothy's going there to encourage them in the faith, it carries the idea uh, back to the Bible knowledge commentary explanation. He was sent to encourage them by providing what they need needed to fight the good fight of faith individually and collectively. So Timothy was, was to go there to continue, to continue the discipleship process to where they would be equipped and they would be readied for the spiritual warfare that they were to endure, the, the persecution, the affliction, all of these things. There was this, this aspect of, of building them up and equipping them with the things and the tools that they needed to sort of fight the good fight, to fight the mission that they had at hand. And so these are sort of the two offensive elements of the mission, to strengthen their faith and to encourage them. And now we get to sort of the, the defensive stage, the, the thing that he was sent to do to sort of guard them from a certain aspect. Number, verse 3 says, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. So Timothy, Timothy's mission is continued. We see the word afflictions, which is a key word throughout Thessalonians. They were receiving persecution because of their faith in Christ. And he says, uh, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. So the word disturbed, it's an interesting word. Um, they, they, they were afraid sort of that as the persecution came, as the afflictions came, that they would be shaken in the sense that uh, Christ would be shaken from them and they would walk away. Um, the Bible Knowledge Commentary explains this word. The Greek word for disturbed is used of a dog wagging its tail and paints the picture of the Thessalonians going back and forth because of the persecutions. And so Paul feared that because of the affliction that they under, that they wouldn't have the strength to endure, that they would be waffling sort of between Christ and not like for Christ and against Christ. And so often in my early years, I, like I, I had a lot of this. In the world that I was in, in the military, it was not a place, it was not a Sunday school class. And so I was hanging out with all my, all my brothers were non-believers, and, and now I became a believer and so on Sundays when I was going to church, I, my faith was strong in that environment. But then I would go back to the sort of the, the war-fighting culture, and there my Christianity was really weak, and, and to be strong there meant that I would get affliction. And so Paul was concerned about this. And so he wanted Timothy to go to sort of to help them so that they could defend themselves of sort of like waffling back and forth. And then we get into this parenthetical statement that goes from uh, midway through verse 3 down to, I think, the end of verse 4. And it starts when he talks about this, this waffling back and forth or being shaken from the faith because of the afflictions. Paul sort of opens up a section sort of dealing with this, like a parenthesis, like a parenthesis, parenthesis, a parenthetical statement is what we call it. And so he says, for you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. This is hard, like this is a hard concept to, to, to swallow, that the persecution and the afflictions that they face, that this was their destiny. Um, 
when I think about the message that Paul presented, this, this was no modern Christianity. Um, this wasn't what you see on TV. Um, this, this was not the prosperity gospel that if you give your life to Christ and all your problems are going to go away and you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. That's, that's, that's not what was presented to them. Paul presented to them Jesus who fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament, who demonstrated in his life all of the, um, the evidence that he was indeed the Messiah. The signs of these miracles that he did, the, the fulfilled prophecy that all of this stuff showed that Jesus was who he claimed to be. And then going to the cross when he died on the cross, thousands of people died, like, like hundreds of thousands of people died on crosses. People die all the time. People are killed and executed all the time, especially in that era. But something was different about Jesus' death. He was an atonement for us so that we could have a relationship with God and that throughout eternity we could spend our eternity with him in relationship. And so when he presented Christ, when he presented the gospel, it wasn't about the, the now and what you would experience. It was presented in the then in light of eternity and the glory that you would spend, spend with him. And so the, the value of this truth is that when persecution comes, because there's, there's an enemy out there, the, the world is against Christianity. You see it with the, you know, I know the new Supreme Court uh, lady that's being nominated. She's Catholic, but it's under the banner of Christianity. And, and the, 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 the world is going after her for her faith in Christ and how, how she lives it out. And this is like a terrible thing for the United States. This is like, th- that this is the reality, the, the values that we as Christians stand for, the world is against. And Paul prepared them, or he's, he's truly, when he presented the gospel to them, he, he presented it in this way, hopefully so they wouldn't fall away when the persecution came. Look at verse 4. He, he continues. He said, For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that, that we, I like that he includes himself, that we were going to suffer affliction. Like, how in the world did anybody convert to Christianity? Like, the promises that were made, like, this is like, you, there will be affliction, there will be persecution. I think about our brothers and sisters in Christ who currently live in the Middle East, and for them to give their lives to Christ, it means that their community, their family, everything will disown them, will come after them. Especially if you are already a Muslim and you convert to Christianity, that carries the death penalty. So it begs the question, like, why would anybody, like, convert if this was Paul's strategy for evangelizing them? And then the answer is clearly there was some strong evidence towards Jesus being the Messiah. And I think about our mission at the church, like, like there are churches who do like, you know, bells and whistles and like, like you can't tell if the church is a carnival or if it's actually like a church. And they're trying to draw a crowd and getting a big group of people, but the crowd is drawn to these big events. And so we here at Grace Point Church have always been very simple in what we do. We believe in teaching the Bible. We believe in worship. We believe in community with one another that's focused around Jesus. Not a bunch of bells and whistles, not a big fancy sanctuary, 
but we try to keep the main things the main things. He goes on to say, and so it came to pass, as you know. So when you look at verse 4, he says, I told you. When we were with you, we kept telling you that we were going to suffer affliction. And then he said, and so it came to pass, just as you know. There's no surprise in the affliction that they were facing. We shouldn't be surprised when we find affliction. So often when a person comes to Christ and they begin growing and then they take the step of, of baptism, and if you haven't been baptized, let me know and we'll be happy to like schedule a baptism for you. But it seems like when these, these steps of faith and obedience happen, that's when the most resistance comes. Like to see somebody get baptized and then to see the weeks following the kind of uh, the things that Satan throws at them in their lives that they are struggling with. As you step out for God, you're going to be faced with resistance. And he says, it came to pass, as you know. And so we, at this point, the parenthetical statement ends. And he sort of reroutes himself as he goes back to verse 5. It's kind of like he has to start over with what he started in verse 1. Look at verse 5. It says, for this reason, when I could endure it no longer. Verse 1 of chapter 3 says, therefore... When we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. He goes into sending to Timothy. So when he says, like, so he kind of reconnects to that first part. For this reason, what reason? The reason he's he's dying that he's separated from them. The the reality that their their faith could be uh, dampened because of the affliction. And so for this reason, when he could endure it no longer, the separation, not knowing how they were doing, this was torture. This is the word that he used is a parent who's lost his children or, or their children. He said, I also sent out to find out about your faith, to see how they were doing, how they're holding up for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would have been in vain. Now, you have to sort of put this sort of all in chronological order because the letter that we're reading and we're studying now, this is all after Timothy's visit. Paul is talking about before that visit, so where he was emotionally before he sent Timothy. He is, he's agonizing. He feared that the tempter, that Satan who he introduced us to previously in verse 18, just before there, for we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, but more than once, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. So, he, so in his absence, he feared that the tempter might have tempted them and that they would have fallen away. So in his separation, he's agonizing. He doesn't know. There's no phones. There's no texting. There's no Twitter. There's no email. There's really like the letter is only like was hand delivered. It wasn't like there's a post office. And so he's agonizing. He finally sends Timothy. Timothy goes and spends some time. We're going to learn more about that as this letter sort of unfolds. Timothy goes. Then Timothy comes back and brings the report to Paul. Paul's overjoyed. Out of that joy and that encouragement that, of the report that Timothy brings back, First Thessalonians is born, that Paul writes this out, and then he sends another, he sends a letter to them to let them know how he's feeling about them. It's really beautiful. But then we see, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would have been. So what am I 
like I just think of the Apostle Paul, like knowing all of the stuff that they're going through, they might not necessarily understand. Like as parents, you worry about your kids. You like, you know the temptations that are there. One of my favorite movies of Bill Murray's movies, since Bill Murray is, it has some connection to Valley Center, is The Man Who Knew Too Little. And I can't rehash the whole movie to you. It's one of his very, not many people know about this movie, but Bill Murray's kind of like an obnoxious guy. He goes to visit his brother in London. His brother has this important meeting. So his brother says, I'm going to send you out to this theater where you, it's sort of like an interactive theater. And somehow as he goes there, Bill Murray gets caught off, like gets sent in the wrong direction. And he ends up with some real criminals. And so the whole movie is about these like real criminals that are really doing bad stuff and really putting Bill Murray in danger. But Bill Murray thinks it's just a big show. And so he has all this courage and he's doing all this stuff. And so as you're watching, you're like laughing, but you're also trying to like stop. It's like, ah, this isn't, this isn't a game. This is, this is real. And so the, the, the point of this is these young believers have been thrust into a war zone and, and Paul knows it. But he's not convinced that he's not certain at this point that they know that they're in a war zone. And so they're kind of navigating life. And Paul's just like agonizing because it's like they're playing with real bullets and they don't know it. And so he needs to get in there because the tempter, isn't it funny that he tempts you to sin? And then as soon as you sin, then he accuses you of the very thing which he tempted you to do. So Satan is introduced in 2.18 in this passage. As the tempter, he's described here. Over in Revelation 2, 12, 10, Satan is described as the one who's accusing you before God night and day. And we're also told in 1 John 2, 1, that Jesus is our advocate, the attorney, the one saying, if you're in Christ, you're secure. Jesus has paid it for, for you, all of your sins, past, present, future. He has absorbed the wrath of God. And so Paul feared that through this separation that they would be spiritually shipwrecked. And so he sends Timothy to them, and Timothy intervenes and sees that they're doing good, that the Spirit of God is within them. They're living out their faith. They're holding strong, and it just blesses Paul's heart. So we're running out of time. When I, when I look at this passage, there are three things that kind of stand out to me. Number one, I see the relationships. So as you just look at these five verses, the, it's, it's like abstract, but what you see is the depth of relationship between Paul and the believers and Timothy and them. Like, like this is family. And, and this is what Christianity is. This is why being connected and with each other is so important. And the coronavirus for the last six months has sort of taken that away for some of us. Like, I'm so grateful for the body that is meeting presently that we can see each other because you can grow in isolation, but you can't really grow in isolation. And so I see these relationships that are, that are here, that are, uh, that are developed, that are nurtured, that, that really are a priority for Paul. The second thing I see in this, this passage is really the theology of suffering, that it's so important for us as Christians to be able to identify and understand sort of like, like how does God and suffering fit? We hear it all the time. If, if, if there's a good God, how come all this suffering exists? Like, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what, specifically what you yourself are going through. 
but I do know that there's suffering and there's affliction and that we're experiencing it around the world through the coronavirus in, in large measure. And so what I do know is that God is sovereign, which means that he's reigning and ruling and all of the affairs of the world are within his ability to stop, to allow, to inter- intervene on. Whether you live or you die, it's not the coronavirus, it's not cancer, it's not whatever that, that will ultimately take you out. It's that God says your days have been numbered and your time has come to an end through whatever means it is. And so then there's actually great assurance, understanding that God is in control if you really have a theology of suffering and you understand that what we are going through and the things that you're suffering, that there's a God who loves you, who created you, who's numbered your days, and he is over, over all, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to live your life in fear of the coronavirus, in fear of who's going to win or lose the next election, in fear of like whatever's going to happen. There's great freedom knowing that God is in control and that God is sovereign, and, and that he governs the affairs that happen in your life. Many of you know about the childhood that I led and the abuse that I suffered at the hands of my biological mom. And that the last time I saw her was when I testified against her at 11 years old in court. And she's passed away now. Um, but for a long time, there was really grappling in my heart, like with how does God fit into this whole thing? And, and I come back to Acts Chapter 17, verse 26 and 27. You can read it on your own. This whole uh, at Mars Hill in Greece where, where Paul is from, and during all these writings. And he basically says that like basically from Adam and Eve, man, God created all of mankind. He appointed their places, their boundaries, the things, all of the things that happened in their life so that they might grope for God. And that word grope is the picture of a blind person using their hands to see with. And so I know through the suffering that I've gone through and the experiences of my life and through coronavirus that God knows that this for us, that we live during this period because this is the era when we are most likely to receive him and to seek him and to grow in him. And so I praise God for the coronavirus. I praise God for the afflictions that we're going through. I praise God that you're uncomfortable and that you are concerned because my prayer is that it would drive you to him and that you would know him as your savior. The final thing as we close is this whole theology of spiritual warfare. God is not your butler that you call upon in prayer to bring you your pillow, to bring you uh, your iced tea, to make your life more comfortable. God has called you into his realm through Jesus Christ. And you've been enlisted as a soldier into spiritual warfare. There is good and there is evil and there are spiritual forces all around us and we are in battle. Whether you are aware of it or not, God wants you to be aware of it. He doesn't want you to be Bill Bill Murray and the man who knew too little wandering through life, wondering what's happening around you. There's a real war happening for your soul, for the souls of your children, for the souls of your parents, through the souls of your neighbors. And we've been called to be a light into this world. We need each other to, 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 to go through this battle together. We need Christ most of all. And so I am deeply grateful for each one of you. And my prayer is that you would turn your eyes upon Christ and that you would lean into him, that you would be equipped and that you would put on the gear that you've been issued so that you could stand against Satan.
And so I'm praying for you this week. Let's pray. I'm running out of time. I only have so long I can preach for. And so I hope you all have a great, wonderful week. And I pray this in Christ's good name. Uh, Father, we do th- I didn't, Father, I do thank you and praise you for this day. I thank you, Lord, for the reality of Christ and what he's done for us and for your spirit that you have placed upon us who believe. We pray, Father, that you would help us to, to walk with you all the days of our life. We ask that you would help us to, to pick up the armor that has been given to us, that you would help us to stand in unity with one another, that we would be able to fight the good fight as the Apostle Paul did. Lord, help us. Lord, equip us. Lord, help us to see you through all that we're going through, both good and bad. We love you, and we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen. All right. Have a good week. I will see you later.